I was actually looking at this game called IGG, right? It's a Hong yeah. Kong listed gaming company. And one of the games, or one of the games, uh, actually contributed close to 70 to 80% of the revenue. Yeah. And as I was looking at the app, the game ranking, in a certain quarter, I started to notice it, it kept dropping down. Okay. It kept dropping down. Mm. And but the share price did not react, right? And I and I was telling to myself, if I'm an investor existingly, I would have sold long time ago. Yeah. Because I didn't have to wait for the quarterly results to come out. I yeah. would have known that the sales going to tank very badly. So when the quarterly results came out, the results was really bad. Mm. The share price tank, the results also tank as well. So I, I really like to buy businesses where I can use alternative data to actually monitor their progress uh very nicely, mm. right? Uh if you ask me if I were to buy like companies like Salesforce here and there, but how do I know whether Salesforce is going to win a big customer or not? Do I have connections? Can I use alternative data points? Yeah. I can't. So, Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone back to the Fire Podcast. Best place for long-term stock investors. Now, today's guest, as always, is very interesting, but it's uh, particularly special, John, because he is wearing the same shirt as I. Oh, <laughs> same color, same same color. Almost the same tonality. And uh, with that, you know, I will always remember this podcast, no matter <laughs> how it goes. Uh, look, I... You know, I, I thought of uh, actually giving you an introduction, uh, but uh, I realized I'll let you do that. But the only thing I'll say, guys, is that uh, this is probably one of the youngest full-time investors yeah. to be on this podcast. And that's all you need to know, right? right? If there's nothing else that you need to know. Yeah. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Mr. Kelvin or Kelvester on uh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Share a bit about your background and, you know, um, how you got started. Hey guys, I'm so happy to be invited to your show and I didn't notice that we were wearing yeah. the same shirt. But, you know, I think this is a it's good, a good old man, right? It's an old man. Yeah, right. So, uh, I would say my background is kind of uh, different because growing up, I, I always thought that, you know, life is has to be different for me. I always didn't want to move on to the traditional path uh, in my life. So, uh you know, I come from Singapore mm-hmm. and uh, this year I'm 29, uh, but my journey is really kind of a journey that is not like most people in Singapore. Uh, in primary school, I, I thought I was very smart and indeed I was very smart within the first few years, right? I, I, I kept getting great, great scores, but towards the end of uh, primary school education, I started to slip back in, my, in terms of my academics mm-hmm. and because of that, I, I did not do well and I went to a five years, I went to a uh, in Singapore, we have this stream called a normal academic stream, okay. uh, which is uh, one year more than uh, the average student out there. So express stream is a is 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 people that take uh, that takes four years to complete their secondary school education. Okay. Uh, for me, normal academic, I had to take additional year, and because of that, 
I started to ask myself, how can I actually earn back that one year, right? Uh-huh. And it, 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 in some way, I was just thinking, you know, I, I really needed uh, to earn money quickly because I have already fallen short by one year as compared to most peers out there. Okay. Then subsequently, after secondary school, um, uh, we go to this place called Junior College. JC. Junior mm-hmm. Co- JC, yes. So JC is two years. Uh, but for me, I didn't go JC. I actually went to Polytechnic, ah. which, is, which is one more year than junior college. So mm. that is two years falling back. Mm. And so I thought to myself, right? I, I didn't come from a very wealthy family. I have uh, three sisters. So growing up, uh, you could imagine how uh, difficult it was for my parents financially to raise uh, four kids while holding onto uh, normal jobs. It's That's very rare so, for a Singaporean company, uh, Singaporean <laughs> family, sorry. It's, I know it's as big as a company, it's almost like a mini company, right? But it's very rare because I think the birth rate in Singapore is like 1.2, 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. yeah, 1.4 or something max today. Max 2, right? I mean, this one got 4, so yeah. I think uh, your late uh, founder, Lee Kuan Yew, will be very happy, you know, <laughs> that your dad uh, contribute quite a lot. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, growing up in a big family, very fun. Um, so, you know, I, I thought about this. I didn't want to burden my parents. So I wanted to get into a good university. I okay. wanted to um, get a scholarship as well. So mm. I studied really, really hard in Polytechnic. Right. But I didn't just want to be a top student. I want to be top in the class, in the cohort. I see. Right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 but somehow or rather, there's always this person. Same person is a female uh, that kept scoring Better uh, than you. It's well. always a girl, man. It's always a girl. It's always a girl. Yeah, and I told and I told myself, hey, this cannot be like for one semester. Maybe uh, I can try again, second semester, third semester. Okay. By the time third semester, I say, okay, she has something that I don't have. I, I just admit it. So I went to find one of my favorite lecturer. His name is Mr. Daniel Ng. Okay. I say, I say, I say, hey, Mr. Ng, you know, I, I want to be the best, right? But somehow I've always fallen short. I couldn't get the scores that uh, this lady uh, achieved. And he, he said one thing here, Kevin, you must always remember this. If you are playing in a game where you're always losing, then then why are you still playing in this game that everyone that you're always losing at? You should play another game. Mm. So he, he said that, okay, so what's the game that most of your peers are doing? Uh. It's starting, getting mm. the scores. But can you play a game that no one else is playing at your age, which mm. is to invest, all right? Mm. So he gave me this book, or rather he gave me the title called What Up on Wall Street mm. by Peter Lynch. And I think that was a very good book recommendation because in that book, it, 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 it convinced me that, you know, I didn't need an MBA. I didn't need a finance degree to start investing. And that was the spark that ignited the entire journey for me. Mm. And I think um, to kind of bring forward to where I am today, um, um, in in short, I kind of gave up my teenage years. Okay. <laughs> a bit sad, but I, I actually focused a lot on developing uh, my investment skill sets. I was spending a lot of time on investment forums, contributing views. Okay. In fact, when I when I saw someone that wrote a very great um, analysis on a company, I would actually privately message the person, ask the person out for lunch so that I can actually learn from him. And I was just um, soaking up, immersing myself in the investing world. And um, I think there were a lot of great mentors in my life. Uh, great uh, 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 luck. I think there's a luck element as well. Mm-hmm. But fast forward, I think at the age where I am, um, 27, I actually 
became a millionaire at a very young age. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think it's also uh, being frugal that's also uh, learning how to make money because previously I was running a business that, that buys and sells clothes, clothes as mm -hmm. well. I see. And so it, it, it all up, uh, compounded up to today. So I see. today what I do, um, I educate and uh, coach uh, a group of students uh, from uh, various countries. We have uh, people from Hong Kong, from uh, UK, from US, Malaysia, and Singapore as well. Uh, but we don't just teach them in um, like normal investing because I think that if anyone would to learn investing from me and I just teach them the simple stuff like, oh, what's your return on equity, your net right, over right. equity ratios, you know, your EPS, your P ratios, I, I don't think I'm value adding to them in any way. Mm -hmm. So what I'm teaching, teaching them is some of the knowledge and the tools and the resources that I've gathered while working for a fund previously. And I'm actually sharing with them how actually we actually how we look at companies and we only focuses on growth companies. And because this is what I, I believe, right? And this is what I eat every day, right? Which is growth investing. That is really what is unique about, about me, about what I do. Uh, and so that's what have propelled me to grow my wealth up to today. Uh, apart from that, uh, I'm partnering with this company called IFAST, which is a wealth management platform in, in uh, Singapore that holds a capital market license to actually advise and look through uh, 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 some uh, managed accounts uh, and deciding on right. a portfolio strategy for them as well. I just want to stop you there a little bit. I want to ask you a bit about your history uh, because I believe you were in a boutique fund um, early on in your career. So in relation to how you develop your investing style, right? You started out with Peter Lynch and then I assume that got you super interested in investing and that probably what motivated you, you know, in full or in part uh, to be an analyst at um, a boutique fund. So share, share with us uh, what that, that those experiences uh, was like you know, when you were there. Yeah. So when I started out, I didn't know... Um, what style would suit me. Mm. But I know one thing, right? Like Buffett uh, has this quote that says, uh, rule number one, don't yeah. lose money. And yeah. rule number two, don't forget rule number one. So I thought, okay, I, I think in terms of measuring up what is the earning power of different companies, that would be quite challenging as a new investor. But what I can um, assess rather accurately is asset prices, right? So let's say if this property is worth like 100 million, if I buy this company at 50 million, the chances of me losing money would be very, very slim. So I remember I actually purchased this company called Hub Steel, which have since been privatized. Um, the reason why I look into the company is that um, it had a property um, and the valuation of the property was recorded in 1992. And that was wow. the year that I was born. Okay. And, and, you know, come on, like the price would have been way higher than what was recorded on the balance sheet. Of course, so yeah. I, I did some measurement uh, assessment and I realized, okay, the property should be worth at least twice as much, which means the net asset of this business should be worth a lot more. Hmm. And given the price that I was paying for the business, my downside is protected by the asset value, right? Hmm. So I was just purchasing at a price to a real net asset value of 0 0.3. And shortly after that, right, I think I was just really lucky. I didn't have any special foresight. Two weeks later, they have announced that they will redevelop this property into an uh, investment property, which means they have re uh, it means the valuation will have to be reflected as of dense valuation, which was, which still is going to be a huge 
revaluation process. Mm, mm. And the share price reacted and I made some money. But I think the amount of money that can be made in such stocks uh, is quite limited. Meaning if I make 20-30%, uh, market realizes it, the catalyst is over, I may have to find another company and repeat that process. In itself is actually uh, very, very tiring. Mm. right? And I mainly invested in Singapore companies for the longest time. Mm. Right, so right. one of my biggest regret is I, I wish I've ventured out of Singapore much faster because Singapore, as you know, small country, uh, limited addressable market. And I don't think we are at that stage where our businesses are matured enough to have great technology companies that can scale outside of Singapore, which means up to a certain point, the business will start to stall, right? The growth or hit saturation point or starts to hit certain um, decline stage which is why i feel that if i want to buy a company my philosophy is like that right i want to buy a company that, that i could hold for five ten years if possible i don't want to be buying a company making 40 50 percent and then have to recycle that process all and all again right i think investing uh, should be enjoyable investing shouldn't be that tiring uh, personally for me so it took me a long time then I decided to say, hey, you know, I, I think going to US is, 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 a bad, is a better choice. So I started investing in, in some of the growth companies um, in US, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, Adobe. I, I was investing in those companies, but I then challenged myself to, right, because I was just noticing that there are some investors in the stock market that's making like 40, 50 percent. Uh, they did not take any leverage. They did not take on any margin, but it's purely finding great companies. So as I was digging and trying to learn, I realized that in all companies, um, there's this thing called a corporate life cycle, which is at the start, there's, con uh, uh, there's commercialization phase, mm -hmm. you have the ramp up phase, you have the growth phase, then you have maturity, then you have the, you have the decline. So a lot of these investors, when they are, um, in, uh, how they actually obtain their, their returns is that they invested in very early stages company. Um, which means they their revenue size are much smaller, their business is much smaller, which means when they scale up, the growth is more rapid. Instead of growing like 20-30%, these are the businesses that could grow 50-60% or above on a annual basis. Mm. And I started to got I started to kind of get my feet a bit dirty, my hands a little bit dirty, and I went to understand why are investors so confident in investing in such companies because if you look at the profit and loss statement, they are loss making. So how can they be good companies? It seems to be violating the principles of investing, right? When you invest in a good company, it has to be profitable. Then why are these people investing in loss making companies, but yet these are the stocks that gave them the most return? So I was a conflict, right? It was it was a, it was a moment where I, I tried to reconcile these two conflicting thoughts. Then I realized that these companies, the reason why they are loss making is that they are actually practicing uh, delayed gratification by undercutting their price a little bit to actually uh, capture a big market. And in some way, they are ramping up on the sales and marketing, which are discretionary spending, which means if they are able to cut back on all this discretionary sp spending, uh, they could be profitable anytime. But they right. just not to be profitable because they are just growing the market. So one of such companies that have a... Uh, gave investors a lot of returns. Uh, it's actually CrowdStrike, it's a cybersecurity company. Mm -hmm. uh, in most cases, if they kind of dial back on their sales and marketing expenses, they could be easily profitable. Mm -hmm. So today, what, today- Sorry, sorry to, to stop you there. Like what, um, what is that amount? Let's say if you take it out, uh, what would a 
what would the P look like, for example, or what would the earnings look Adjusted like? Adjusted after you yeah, net off roughly. The, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, this may seem optically quite mm. high, uh, but it's about 60 to 70%. The reason why it is still uh, 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 sort of reasonably priced because CrowdStrike back then was still growing at 80%, right. 90%. So right. if you kind of do a forward multiple, you can see the multiple starts to decline drastically, right? So mm. I think uh, this is one of the lessons I've learned as well because last time I, I look at any company, I say, hey, if the P is above 40, 30, I think that's that's up absurd. But right. I think I think as an investor, we got to develop the mindset to think that, okay, if this company is expensive, but it's expensive for a reason because it is able to demonstrate growth. Right. So, and you know, and, and, and a company may look expensive on, on the surface, but if you kind of look at a two-year, three-year forward, outlook given the growth that kicks in hmm. it could be actually cheap and it could s- still give better returns than companies like facebook and microsoft mm. thereabouts yeah so so having that understanding allows me to have conviction in those companies and today there are two buckets of companies that i invest uh both their growth companies but one is where the growth is more or less very apparent like later on i'll talk a little bit about this company called uh, uh, C Limited, which is right, one, right. uh, one of my one of my biggest position, um, held it since um forty dollars. And another company that uh, another bucket of company I look at is these are very small, uh, very uh, unique businesses that is at the phase of commercial uh, commercializing their products mm. and 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 optimizing <clears throat> scale. But I think most investors when they look at small companies, they find it very risky because, well, uh, these are young business owners, what do they know, right? Uh, but what I do is uh, I often find these small companies that are run by very experienced management teams. Okay. For example, um, there's this company that uh, that the CEO have previously managed about a business unit that, that generates about 500, 800 million worth of, worth of revenues. Mm. Then he left that job and he was <clears> being headhunted into this small company. And to him, it's very simple. I'm just going to execute the same playbook. I've done it before. In his department, and, uh, in his previous department. Uh, yeah. In the previous department, previous company, right? And now he's here with the right compensation and incentive. Um, I think he can win, the shareholders can win, and the business can win together as well. Mm, so I look right, for right. an experienced hand that is just replicating the playbook right now. And I've seen that happen uh, many times. I can cite a few examples. And this kind of, to me, kind of lowers the lowers the risk because you have been there, you have done that before, and now mm. you are executing the same playbook in a slightly different business model. Mm-hmm. I think the chances of succeeding is going to be very high. But if this is a first-time CEO, I think there are a lot of challenges, there are a lot of mistakes that, you know, if he made uh, a mistake in the business, that will cause shareholders a lot. But I want to get an old hand that knows and understands business and how a business should scale then I think it's going to be much better for in, me. In Hokkien, there's a word for it. I think in Singapore, <laughs> lao jiao. Uh. Yeah. Lao jiao, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find a lao jiao. <laughs> so I think now is a great time to segue into the, these two stocks that you you seem pretty excited about. So earlier on, you mentioned one of them is C. Is that right? That you wanted to talk about today? Yes. So, right. so what is the case for C and why should not necessarily people buy C, but why should they take notice? Or maybe some context. Uh, what is C? A lot of people yeah, don't, yeah. don't connect Shopee and C actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so um, 
um, I think C is a business that is in the backyard. That means it's literally in Singapore, HQ is in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would always tell investors uh, or even my friends if, if I miss like C Limited, right? Uh, uh, I'll be embarrassed as a Singaporean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, so C is actually a very fascinating company. I think it has been talked a lot by a lot of investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that the share price have actually gone up from 40, $40 plus to about 280, I think there's a lot more investors that are, uh, um, that are talking about it right now. But back then, when it was when it, when it was a company around forty dollars bucks, um, it had two business unit, right? One was the gaming division, yeah, Garena, Garena, right? That that publishes uh, various games, all right. So they have actually a partnership with uh, Tencent. Tencent, when they want to redistribute their games, they go through a partner. So Garena was a partner, mm. and for distributing certain games, Garena takes a small revenue cut. Mm. Uh, on top of that, Garena also developed their own game called Free Fire. Right, so it started as a gaming uh, business, but then when uh Forrest Lee went to China with his daughter, and his daughter uh, actually enjoyed buying things from Taobao, mm. right? So I, so I, I don't know how much his daughter spent, <laughs> but when the daughter came back to Singapore, say, hey, daddy, daddy, I want to have a service that could allow me to buy uh, things easily, and because of that, Forrest thought about it for very long. Uh, back then, the year was 2015, where Shopee started, right? Um, he said, you know, there are a lot of competitors already. Lanzada was around. Correct. There's a lot of competitors. Uh, what do we possess as a competitive advantage to enter the market? Um, he thought for a while, and then he realized, okay, uh, if, if my daughter wants it, and, and do, doing some analysis, he actually thought about this, right? 2015, that was when mobile penetration was just starting to rise rapidly. Yeah. And... Uh, most people in the in the Asian countries do not have the luxury to own their own PCs. That's right. So they they felt that we are hitting an inflection point where a mobile first approach would work very well in terms of e-commerce, and second is that a lot of e-commerce uh, players they seem to be very uh, taking a very general approach to 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 enter and penetrate certain markets. I give you an example, right? You look at Amazon today. Why are they still not successful? in Singapore, why are they still not successful in uh, Malaysia? They have been having market shares, market share uh, been stagnant for a long time. Yeah, I can tell you it's very simple. They, they don't understand the market, right? And they, they tried to take a US approach method of doing e-commerce into Singapore. It didn't work, right? Um, so, so Shopee came to the market and I think one of the first moves they, they ever did was to offer like 0% commission rates to any um, seller. So if I'm a seller, I'm selling at Luxada, Luxada takes two to three percent cut. Yeah. But I sell a Shopee, there's no cut, right? Mm. And you you might be thinking, okay, is, is Shopee out of their minds? Why are they doing this? Is this charity, right? Mm. But 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 they understood one thing. They understood that when it comes to running an e commerce store, getting skill is the is 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 one of the most important thing. Yeah. And also not just getting skill, but it's also engagement rates as well. You see, like in in Singapore, we have those Shopee stuff where you can shake your Shopee tree. You know, you, you have you have all this notification that alerts you and uh asks you to get back to the app to do some gaming stuff. So the frequency of uh, uh of you opening the app per day is actually very important. Mm. So they, they actually applied gamification into the app. And uh, to cut the story short, uh Shopee was started in 2015. Um 
in comparison with uh, many of their players, right? Uh, like uh, Tokopedia started in 2009. Tokopedia is an e-commerce store in Indonesia. Mm. Like Zara started in 2012. So Shopee is one of late, the latest... Uh, late comers. Uh, la- late comers. But today on the Google Trend basis, right? You can see that Shopee is overwhelmingly uh, more popular than Tokopedia than Lazada on a global basis as well. Mm. So I, I think that's one thing that's very interesting. And I, and I think that today, if you look at the e-commerce penetration around the world, right? In, in South Korea, I know it's about 40, uh, 40% uh, e-commerce as a total of total retail. In US, it's about 20 to 30. But I think in Asia, we are still at a very low, uh, uh, we are still not fully I think, penetrated. I think low teens, if I'm not mistaken, low, low teens, 10, 12, I think somewhere there. Yeah. Yes, correct. And, and I think one of the criteria when we look at business is the total addressable market, right? Yeah. So I would like to just draw up some statistics, right? If you look at China, which has a population, population size of 1.4 billion, right? And they have about, and Alibaba is report is uh, reported about 62 billion of uh, US uh, revenue size, right? Mm-hmm. But in Southeast Asia, the whole population, right? Different countries added up together. I would say it's about 670 million people. Mm, mm. So what I'm saying is that if the China side Alibaba is making 62 billion with a population size of 1.4 billion, mm. if I cut, cut the population size by half to match up the Asia side of the business, Shopee right now is only making 1 billion, mm. right? If you, if you do a like for like comparison, yeah, they have a room to expand all the way to 30 billion, yeah, right? So it, it really goes to show that the addressable market is going to be uh, huge for them and they're actually executing really well mm. and on top of that what i really like about shopee is that their websites like app any or google uh, uh app any that shows you the app rankings mm. right so you know i don't have to wait for every quarter to guess whether shopee is going to do well or not i can just go to those websites refresh and i see that oh you know the ranking has it dropped or not right yeah i i, I i'll give you another example which i think is very uh going to be useful for your listeners right um I was actually looking at this game called IGG. Right? It's a Hong yeah. Kong listed gaming company. And one of the games, or one of the games, uh, actually contributed close to 70 to 80% of the revenue. Yeah. And as I was looking at the app, the game ranking, in a certain quarter, I started to notice it, it kept dropping down. Okay. It kept dropping down. Mm. And but the share price did not react, right? And I and I was telling to myself, if I'm an investor existingly, I would have sold a long time ago. Yeah. Because I didn't have to wait for the quarterly results to come out. I yeah. would have known that the sales going to tank very badly. So when the quarterly results came out, the results was really bad. Mm. The share price tanked, the results also tanked as well. So I, I really like to buy businesses where I can use alternative data to actually monitor their progress uh very nicely, mm. right? Uh if you ask me if I were to buy like companies like Salesforce here and there, but how do I know whether Salesforce is going to win a big customer or not? Do I have connections? Can I use alternative data points? Yeah. I can't. So as I looked at the business of Shopee, right? Mm. I kind of, or the business of C, I kind of draw the whole whole uh, universe, right? If you talk about the biggest markets available is payments, is uh, gaming, it's e-commerce, yeah. it's cloud computing, uh, it's electric cars. But I think C Group is nicely in the nicely in the junction of um gaming which is digital entertainment yeah and also e-commerce and this has huge tailwinds and i think today i also want to mention that games are not games like the past games today is like a meta universe where you can go in you wear different skins and yep. you go there to socialize you go there to make friends as well so i saw that 
C had a lot of great attributes and the markets that they were in are are, are expanding. Mm-hmm. And I think Garina is also top in terms of uh, the rankings in, in certain uh, countries for the Free Fire. So I, I, I look at this business and I think, okay, they are currently not charging, uh, like for example, eBay is charging 10% commission rate, mm-hmm. but I think C, C is charging about 7%. So they are kind of undercharging, under monetizing to grow the business. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at their shareholder base, I look how they have been executing, you know, I, I, I feel that uh, at $40 when I bought the company, uh, I think the risk uh, for me was was extremely very low and I, and I think um, they've been executing very well and I think uh, I, I'm making a bull bet right now and I think it, it will be possible. Um, if you ask me today, like what are some businesses that have actually hit a trillion and above? Mm. Uh, honestly, uh, not many, but I think Apple is one and I think Microsoft is two and I think there's a couple of one, a couple of few others. And in Asia, do we have a business that is going trillion to- dollar. A trillion market cap. I, th- I think none yet, right? No. And C actually have overtook um, SoftBank uh, in terms of market cap size. Yeah. And I and I think looking at the addressable market and also having the C money component coming in, you know, they say whoever controls the money controls the relationship. Yeah. Which is why you see Grab is coming in with the e-wallets functions here and there. Um, and just want to say, right, a lot of fintech e-wallets today, they fail because they they have a lot of huge customer acquisition costs. Yes. But today, C-Money had this inherent advantage in the business model where, where people who who got acquired by Shopee's business, you funnel the people into the C-Money, which is the Shopee Pay e-wallet. Yeah. So, so if I look at all these factors coming together, um, one of the reasons why it remains as one of my big position, I think it's on track to hit a, a one trillion uh, 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 market cap. And you see, a lot of people might be thinking, oh, C has been growing at 100% for the last five, six quarters. Uh, can they actually uh, uh, repeat its success? Because as something grows bigger, the law of large numbers yeah. detects that something grows bigger, the growth <clears throat> will actually decline. But I think that's where people are not looking at the addressable market uh, uh, properly, mm. uh, not, not seeing the new markets that Shopee has been expanding to. In fact, in Latin America, uh, they've been dominating in, in several places, you know, like um, Mexico. I think they've been doing really, really well. So, I mean, looking at all the factors coming together, uh, I think it's very hard to see them uh, not succeeding because, um, you know, like a lot of competitors, I just want to add on one thing. It's very important. Like a lot of companies, they are loss making right now because they're trying to expand market. Yeah. But at the same time, it also means that they have to raise capital to, to actually expand, right? Mm. In Indonesia, we have this e-commerce company called Bukalapa. Mm. Uh, we also have Tokopedia. And most cases where they keep investing and they're losing money, they kept raising, raising money from investors. But there will, there will be a point where investors will be tired yeah. and say, show me the results, show me the results, right? But in the case of C-Limited, whatever money that Shopee is spending to expand its business or see uh, money it all came from Garena. so mm. in a way i want i i, I can argue that Garena uh, c group has unlimited uh, financing capabilities and it's quite a fearsome competitor as well and mm. that is also because uh, that is also resulted in gojack in indonesia merging with tokopedia mm. right because they want to fight off uh, c uh, c group i i think it will be an interesting battle, yeah. Garina is the VC for CEO. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing 
especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. Yeah. So what do you think could go wrong? Now, obviously, you're, you're pretty uh, bullish on it, but uh, try, try, let's take the other side. What do you think could go wrong? What are the potential you know, things that can trip on? Yeah, I, I just want to think about um, a lot of downsides as well. I think, you see, the whole business, the whole, everything actually hinges on one business unit, which is Garena, right? Mm, mm. If Garena games start to lose traction, right, it will actually impact the 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 financing that's available for Shopee, right? right. And as, as you know, today uh, e-commerce is is still at an early stage in Asia. Yeah. So it's it's not a stage where it is in US like Amazon has clearly dominated, but I would say that the the price, the e-commerce price, is so huge, it's so profitable that all players are trying to enter to this industry and win at all costs. And I think number one. It's really uh, a Garena's uh, Free Fire losing traction, mm -hmm. but that can be traced uh, through Sensor Tower, through App Any, and I know you know if you guys can play the game and you see if you start to join a match and you realize you have to wait for one minute to be matched with enough players, means there's not enough players inside, right? And mm, you kind yeah. of know that the game is losing popularity. So mm. I think that's one thing you can look at it. And second is that, uh, uh. Personally, running a business myself and reading a lot of books from uh, Mackenzie and other people, you can think that growth itself creates a lot of complexity. Because if you grow at all costs without taking care of people, without creating processes, your growth will not sustain. In mm. fact, your growth will be shooting up, cannot sustain, and it will just drop back down, right? Mm. So, and I, and I think at the end of the day, um, it's so important to be humble, right? Because if you start to think you are the best, you start to think that um, uh, 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 you have actually dominated the market, you will start to lose sight of it and you start to be less, uh, be less customer-centric and you may take things for granted, you may start being arrogant. And I think all these things will show up and in a way, maybe the sellers will not, the Shopee's, uh, Shopee's, Shopee's sellers mm -hmm. may not feel that Shopee is as customer-centric as before, you know, they may want to jump to Lazada, they may jump right. to other competitors. So I, I think with success, you know... Um, it breeds it's, it's, complacency, it, you would say it, that? It breeds complacency, yeah. And and I think um, it's going to be a, a big shame if uh, this happened. But I also, I also can share with you a couple of things which are not commonly uh, uh, discussed before. Um... If you look at C Group today, the biggest shareholder is Tencent. Mm -hmm. Tencent have invested in several companies before, yeah. And uh, I can tell you some of the powerful uh, Indonesian families and in in Taiwan as well have invested in C. So these are things that are not spoken about because yeah. when when C does business in several countries, they need certain things to be certain doors to be open for them, right? Mm, correct. And and um, 
and uh, very shrewd invest. So I've actually attended the annual general meetings a couple of times, met some investors as well. So there's this uh, very prominent uh, US uh, group that have analyzed uh, last 10 years, companies that have succeeded, companies that failed big time. Mm. And they, they have drawn out several valuable lessons, right? And they actually sent it to um, Forrest Lee, which is the founder. I see. Right? So, so I they sent me a special report, is it? Is, you, you, are you saying that? <laughs> okay. Something like that. Mm. So what, what I'm saying is that C did not become a $100 billion company so quickly by chance. Um, it's because a lot of things were paid for them to succeed. So they didn't have to uh, try and error. A lot of things that they did, they succeeded in, in a very big way. Because I believe Forrest is actually a very consultative person. I see. And he usually consults Tencent, how to expand to this market, to that market. And a lot of shareholders that were backing him actually provided a lot of invaluable um, lessons as well. And I think just one last thing to take note. Mm. Um, before C went for IPO, you just look at who were the early backers. And most of the time, the VCs, once a company goes for IPO, they would have they would soak, they would sell their stake. Exit but today yeah. Today, most of them are still there because uh, they are there to, for a reason to actually open doors and to give that advice for Forestry to succeed. So a lot of times, uh, for me, previously working in a fund, we don't just look at numbers, don't just look at valuations. I, those are very important, but we look at the underlying currents of a business. Who is supporting? What the what an environment for it to succeed, right? I think uh, uh, it's a rare combination of many parties mm. uh, coming together and wanting C to succeed. I see. I'm looking at the list of uh, the ownership. Uh. Biggest one is T. Rowe Price, Sand Capital's oh, yeah. management, Capital Worlds. Uh, actually, it's one of the first times that I noticed that 80% of their top 30 are investment advisory or hedge funds. Interesting. Yeah. So normally you would see like uh, institutional investor. I mean like for a GLC, let's say uh, a Sanders Reed or something, right? In in Singapore, you would have uh, GLC companies or GLC institutional investors coming in. But these are all, uh, you know, carry group of Hong Kong, <laughs> Tiger Global. So you see a lot of these institutional uh, investment advisors, institutional advisors yeah. coming in uh, to 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 you know That's just to showcase uh, or to give some context to Kelvin's uh, point yeah, about yeah in a in a in a good crowd, I guess yeah, yeah in a good crowd, an yeah. So and, so and I, yeah. So uh, go on, yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things is, you know, SoftBank uh, is very well known for investing in Alibaba. That's Masayoshi-san. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Masayoshi-san, yes. But do you guys know who's uh, Tazo-san? Uh, Enlighten us on Tazo-san. That, that, that is his brother. Oh, okay. And his, his brother is one of the early investors in C as well. I see. So I, I, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, investors that invested in C in the early days, but they wanted to keep their identity a secret. But... You, you do some uh, Googling, uh, yeah. you should be able to find it. Yeah. There's right. a, this, this is a very unique one. Charles Lim Capital Limited. Oh, who's Charles, man? Yeah, who's Good Charles? <laughs> so before we move on to the next stock, yeah. I just want to touch a little bit about valuation. Obviously, the stock has gone up like, what, four, five, six times already. So I think if you're an investor looking today, the thing that definitely pops up in your head is, the valuations, right? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the valuations? Right now it's a hundred and fifty billion market cap roughly. Yeah, I, I think most of the time whenever we look at companies uh, uh optically uh on the surface, yeah, it will look expensive. And things I mean like good companies will always look expensive. Correct. Um that that's that's one of my uh, initial thoughts as well. But yet 
they continue to deliver great results to investors like you and I, uh, because our math, our brain just cannot comprehend, you know, certain growth rates if they were to continue. Yeah. For example, if I have a business that is trading at a P of 20 and, um, okay, maybe, oh, sorry, maybe like a P of 30. And if this business is able to grow its earnings by 100%, the forwards one year P will be dropped to 15, right? From 30 dropped to 15. By half, huh? By half, correct. So today's Shopee's business, they are taking a take rate of 7.3%. Mm. And so every product that's being sold, they take about 7.3%. eBay is taking about 11%, mm. right? So whenever we look at loss-making companies, we always have a reference, right? To say that, if Shopee were to normalize its profits, mm. right, normalize its margins, would it still be taking a 7.3% take rate? Maybe not, mm. right? And its take rate has been steadily increasing, right? Mm. So to the point, once it hit about 11 or 10% take rate, right, and we apply a, let's say, a 20 times multiple on the business, and this business is growing 100% or, or even more, right? I, I, I think it should be worth about... Uh, 83.6 billion. Mm. I'll kind of break, break things down a little bit. Okay. All right. <clears throat> then you have your Corona business, which I think is very straightforward. It's a really profitable uh, business that's growing at this kind of scale should be about like 18 to nine, 18 to 20 times multiple. So what I'm doing actually is what we call a sum of parts, right? Kind of value various businesses together mm. and add up together. I, I think for C money, if we take a, a reference to PayPal, right? Um, uh, take rate of 2.3%, operating margin of 25%, multiple of 25 times, this should be worth a 7.8 billion thereabouts. Mm, mm. So so what I think is lacking over here is that C Limited actually opened one of the segments, which is uh, uh, C Capital, mm. right? So I'm not sure if you guys are uh, familiar with this guy called Zhang Lei. Zhang Lei actually yeah. runs Hugh House, and Hugh House was one of the early investors in Tencent, JD, right? And so... C Capital today is being run by this guy that have been closely associated with Zhang Lei in the early days as well. Mm. And I would say, and I would argue that um, if you look at US, there's this rise of uh, unicorns that went for IPO, uh, really great companies. But I think the golden era for Asia is just about to come in mm. the next few years. Mm -hmm. And C being a giant in the internet ecosystem has a lot of benefits in terms of acquiring these businesses and subsequently if this business grows to a mega business right i think the value that is attributed to us as c uh uh shareholders, shareholders mm. is going to be huge in, in a very similar way when uh, tencent today right um derived a lot of valuation from c you know when c was nothing they invested in c they hold 25 percent now i think or, or more uh now it's, it's worth a lot so we cannot assign a value to this business called C Capital, mm. but it's definitely worth something, right? But as of today, if I were to add up the whole business of C uh, Limited, right? Garena, Shopee, and C Money, I would say and argue that this business should be worth $151.1 billion. So today, the price could be slightly higher than that, right? In terms of market cap comparison. But I think, you know, the biggest mistake is whenever I find a company that's overvalued by 10, 20%, and I decide to sell them, it, it has always been the biggest mistake of my life. Mm. Because why? If that business just announced a collaboration or announced a, a entering a new market, or they announce maybe a new business segment or what, whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, that 10 to 20%, 10 to 50% valuation gap 
to be closed immediately. Yeah. yeah. And, and and the key thing is that good companies they tend to surprise on the upside most of the time. Yeah. Right. But you see, when I bought the company C Limited, my idea was okay, I'm just gonna buy Garena and Shopee. Yeah. Then all of a sudden grow one more head come out, right? Yeah. The C money. Then grow one more head come out. It's called a C capital. And and they're actually exploring to do this uh uh C AI labs as well. Who knows if they can actually offer some technologies or uh, I think they, they are also following the path of Amazon that created the Amazon Web Services. Yeah. Uh, Alibaba also has the Ali, uh, Ali Cloud. You have the Tencent Cloud. Uh, I think Shopee is actually now exploring to create a private cloud as well. I'm not surprised if three years, four years later, they could offer computing services to other players as well. So it could morph in many different ways. But I think what kind of brings everything together is Shopee's ability to gain a user base really really quickly and mm. get them to interact with their services in a in a i would say kind of like an octopus kind of concept mm-hmm. like I, I provide you e-commerce i provide you gaming i provide you e-wallet services i provide you computing services and and and, and wrapping you around it you can't <laughs> really get out of it so yeah. i think that's the end game i'm, I'm seeing from from the, the the drawing a lot of like uh uh, mental models together. Understand. That's interesting. He said to octopus, octopus. I use Hydra. <laughs> yeah. You know Hydra, Hydra come out and then you yeah. chop the head off and come out again. <laughs> it, it, it does have the feeling of uh, yeah. how people in the US feel about like Amazon. Uh, right? Yeah. Because Amazon has a similar mentality, right? Basically, yeah. you know, they are the everything store. Now, I love to go on and on about C-Limited, yeah. uh, but uh, we have to go to the other store, right? So, Kelvin, what do you have for us in terms of uh, the second one? Yeah, so I, I think the second one is going to be slightly uh, uh, not so easy to understand. Sure, sure. Uh, but I'll, I'll do my best to actually uh, explain this, right? I, I, I think if you look at the whole world today, um, unfortunately, uh, humans, we do have uh, some of us. Uh, uh, I, I mean, there's a statistic that says that, uh, statistics from the World Health Organization that says 7 out of 10 people uh, die globally from cancer, heart diseases, stroke, diabetes, yeah. mental mm, health conditions, mm, lung mm, disease. Mm. So, you know, I, I think uh, we are lucky enough that we found a cure for cancer. Okay. Uh, but we have not found a cure for diabetes, for Parkinson, for Alzheimer's diseases. Okay. Right. And I, I think it's, it's also always very sad that today, if you look at a cancer drug cure, uh, 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 you know, I want to like kind of ask you guys, right? Do you, how much do you think a, a, a cancer cure drug cost to a patient <laughs> um in malaysia it depends whether you're going uh the full uh, immunotherapy uh, treatment like kitruda and all that but if it's just conventional chemo you're talking about ranging anywhere between uh, 100 to 300,000 i think anything more than that i don't know about singapore whether it's subsidized or not but in malaysia i think if they go top of top of the line uh, immunotherapy you're talking about easily half a million uh. Mm, yeah, yeah, ringgit, uh, ringgit sensor. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's about that price as well. Yeah. So, uh, chemotherapy it's one way, but there's also another way where, uh, you want to er- eradicate, uh, eliminate the cancer cells totally. Uh, it costs somewhere close to uh, you're right around half a million. Yeah. Uh, to a million um in in US dollars in in US. Okay. So you know we we always think about like why are these drugs so expensive today because. You have to extract the blood cells from from a human body. Yeah. You have to ship it to a central uh, location. Yeah. You have to um, 
multiply the cells, modify the cells, right. uh, freeze it. The cold logistics itself is not cheap because um, any uh, movement or, 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 or exposure to certain temperatures, That's right. the, the cells will just die, right? Yeah. Then finally, uh, uh, putting back the drug in the human body, right? But I think the cost is not just that alone, mm -hmm. but also for 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 companies that does research in this process, maybe they have researched for five years and there's no there's no progress. Yeah. Then on fifth on the sixth year, they actually made some progress. Yeah. So they will price that product to uh, recover right, the cost. Uh. To recover the cost. So which is why the cost is very high. So this company that I'm actually going to share, uh, just for full disclaimer. I actually own uh, shares in it. Mm -hmm. It's called uh, Orgenesis. All okay. right. So today, what Orgenesis is um, doing is what I call the decentralized clean rooms. I see. So clean, ro clean rooms in the health, uh, in the scientific uh, term, is actually a, a factory, like manufacturing a factory that manufactures the cure using uh, blood cells. Mm. So you, you see, the whole idea is, is a bit ridiculous, whereby you take your blood cells out, fly to a centralized location, maybe in Germany, on Japan. Yeah, uh, uh, Kevin, yourself. I just want to stop you there for a while, uh, just because uh, I realized that we were talking about all this. Is uh, It is what Kevin is referring to is immunotherapy rather than uh, chemotherapy. Because chemotherapy, you don't need to extract the blood out and all that, that kind mm. of thing. So, that, okay. you know, because I just realized we just jump into the topic without giving the audience a context. Uh, and then people are <laughs> thinking, chemotherapy, extract extract yeah. blood out and all that. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the... Oh, uh, it, to give you guys context, we are talking about immunotherapy where you are actually using the cells of your own body, uh, genetically modified in some way, and then re-injecting it back to fight those cancer cells. Okay, Ken Kelvin, please continue. <laughs> Thanks so much. I think that's a, that's a, that's a great context to yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah. Yeah, no worries, yeah. no worries. Yeah, yeah so uh, uh, flying to a central location and then modifying the cells, expanding the cells, and, and they call it uh, cultivation, right? Then yeah. putting back to the body. Yeah. So, so there are a lot of uh, costs involved. In fact, in a clean room, the maximum you can actually produce drugs for is maybe for one patient to two patients because you don't have cross-contamination. Mm. So, so uh, what if, right, today I challenge the notion that the way of doing things, the industry that the gene and cell therapy uh, industry has been doing things is, is, is not efficient. Mm. What if today, um, when we talk about point of care, maybe the hospital, in a hospital where you actually extract the cells, you know, uh, you could actually send to a location that's very nearby. Let's I see. say we call it, we call it a decentralized uh, clean room, okay. whereby uh, it is uh, certified, is regulated, mm -hmm. and all, all procedures are properly uh, aligned. And instead of flying, right, you can actually deliver to maybe less than 1km away, and then you have someone that's inside that's going to process, cultivate, and, and, and just repeat the whole process. Mm. So what can we actually eliminate all right, through this process? Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a few things here. Number one, logistics cost tends to be 15 to 20% of a drug cost. I see. You might think, you might think how can it be? You know, wow, it's quite traveling. a big, huh? Yes, it's, 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 it's really, uh, there's this thing called chiro, chiro, uh, chiro, chirogenic, chirogenic. Freezing. Yeah. Yes. You need to freeze the cell in a way that it doesn't hurt the cells as well. That's right. Um, a lab technician as well, it costs quite a lot of money. Uh, but are there certain processes mm. that we can actually automate, right? Mm. And I also think that the lack of uh, a quality check sometimes produces some failed products, right? Mm -hmm. And and that, that, that means you have to redo the whole process. That's adds up the cost as well. I see. So with with uh with uh, industrialization mm. in the gene and cell uh, therapy. Uh, in terms of the way you manufacture drugs, mm. uh, you can lower down the cost. And you think about it, 
a lot of people isn't it sad that a lot of people today they 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 pass away because they don't have access to all these drugs because it's it's expensive. It's too expensive. What if yes, what if we can actually reduce the price and increase affordability and mm. it, it reaches out to more people, wouldn't that increase the total addressable market for the business? And I'd like to draw it back to the idea where uh, let's talk about visionaries for a while, right? Mm. They are coming to this. Mm. Uh, uh, Microsoft created the first uh, operating system, Bill Gates, right? Uh, uh, I think Elon Musk uh, created Tesla, which is the first commercially viable uh, electric vehicle. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what's one thing about Tesla that is so impressive is that Elon Musk is always pressing for a lower price every single year. He's trying to lower down the prices of Tesla. Does it mean that he has lesser profit? Which is not true because profits equals to price multiplied by volume. Yeah. If your price is lower, but your volume is proportionally way high or disproportionately higher, actually you tend to make more money. Yeah. So bring that notion back into what we are saying here is that the key is to actually lower, the, lower down the price and actually increase the affordability so it actually reaches out to more people. And I think in fact, when, when uh, uh, so this is an altogether new business model mm. and I and I don't think it's, um, it's, uh, uh, I don't think it's com it's known out there. Uh, Vera Kaplan, who is a CEO that has spoken several times before, has very strong connections, have very strong networks, and she's actually uh, uh, pushing this frontier for the Great. industry. Um, this is always a pain point because whenever she talks to the hospital people, knowing that some people died because they couldn't afford certain things, uh, it pains her heart. And I think that, you know, if we are truly going to invest our hard-earned money all right, we are going to invest in companies that are managed by visionaries, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, and I think that the value of a company is proportionate to the value that is creating for the work. Yeah. I just want to kind of draw a mental model out here. Uh, why is Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Tesla, uh, ha having such huge market caps? It's because the value that they're providing to the world is is high. Yeah. Right. So the way I look at uh our Genesis as well, uh, I I think um. Right now, it's still not fully understood yet, but it's gaining very, uh, a few traction right now. A few of their decentralized uh, clean rooms are planted across the globe in various countries and is, is gaining certain traction right now. And these are not just ordinary hospitals. Uh, there's one in uh, John Hopkins in okay. the United States. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a very reputable one. Yeah. Another one is in University of uh, California Davis as well. So I think all in all, I, I see very good traction for it. I see. Um, just maybe just a little bit of background also, so for the audience to understand, which uh, pharmaceutical or even biotechnological companies is that for a cancer treatment, let's just say a drug developer like let's say Pfizer, you know, uh, or or Gilead Science, they come up or or Kite, all right, they come up with the patent for the uh, immunotherapy drug, all right. Where does uh, I understand from what you have just, I've never read about Ogenesis before, but I understand what you're saying. It says they're trying to democratize the lab environment where the extraction, the processing, and the re-insertion uh, uh, of all these uh, immunotherapy drugs delivery back to the patient. But where is the, if I were to look at the cost, uh, let's just say of 100%, you broke it down into logistics, you broke it down into uh, the chirogenic uh, processes, but where is the cut for the, medic, uh, the medical patents that these guys actually uh, patented the process of the, the drug? You know? what, what's their cut? Because uh, one, one thing is really about the dem democratization of the facility to extract and to put it back, but also the other thing is that how are the 
drug makers or patent makers that put in the R&D costs going to recoup their costs? Because if it's not a sustainable model itself, how can it be, you know, longevity in, yeah. in, yeah, in a sense? Uh, yeah. Maybe you can yeah. help me explain that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a that's a very good question. So like the way I, I look at it is um um today um uh, it's very sad, but um uh, pharmaceutical companies uh they want to charge to cover their margins. I think that's understandable. Yes. Uh but if you look at the clean rooms uh side of business, I think it's quite disgusting. Mm -hmm. uh, oh really? Because, it's even worse than pharma? Okay, enlighten me. <laughs> uh, because they charge ridiculous amount of money. I see. Uh, and that adds up to the cost as well. So, Argenesis, you know, I, you know, like most people thought that they are doing like charity business, you mm. know, like just like in the, in the olden days, Amazon, wow, doing free shipping, you know, yeah, charity business. exactly. But, but, exactly. but, 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 but that's not the, that's not the, that's the first, uh, the, the first layer only, yeah. yeah. Second layer. So, yeah. so I, I think if you look at uh, our Genesis, uh, you could say that they are actually uh, manufacturing, uh, but a manufacturer, but they manufacture drugs as well. But in terms of, let's say the cost of a drug is, let's say it's a hundred dollar, right? So yeah. what's the cut, right? Yeah. Actually, uh, uh, that is like confidential information that uh, companies do not share. Okay. But what, what I can say is that if you put yourself in the shoes of a patent owner uh -huh. that has a drug that's already FDA approval, yes. if you manufacture via Orgenesis uh, 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 decentralized clean rooms, okay. you will manufacture at a lower cost. Okay. And in terms of your speed to delivery, it's way faster. Okay. You know, just think about extracting the cells and shipping to another country. Sometimes it takes about three weeks four weeks even for the for your drug to be ready okay to be shipped back i see but but now uh uh the the decentralized clean room is just located one km away from your hospital yeah maybe it takes two weeks right yeah then in terms of the patient care as well i think it's higher and i think the batch production will also be better mm -hmm. right because you don't have the huge uh 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 uh, uh in in temperature which causes the cells to be unstable, right? Yeah. Medical terms are unstable. So, uh, yeah. So if you put yourself in the shoes of the pharmaceutical, you yeah. would actually want to go with the approach of using Argenesis decentralized clean rooms. Mm. And if, if that's your choice, that means you are helping your patient, uh, to 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 enjoy lower costs and Understand. you can gain market share as well, mm. right? So so in this industry, maybe you talk about um, there's a lot of players that's attempting to solve diabetes. Yeah. Right. Um. And let's say if you have a competitor that's able to use Orgenesis to manufacture a lower price, then you also want to have that advantage as well. So I think at the end of the day, people are always looking for, a, uh, I wouldn't use the word cheaper way, but mm. I think a more efficient way of manufacturing drugs with mm. higher quality controls and at the same time allows you to gain market share very quickly, right? The speed to market mm -hmm. and to your customers. I think those are very key components in the area of immunotherapy. I see. Uh, in terms of competition, uh, one, and uh, who are the competitors? And one more is, what mode do you think they have? Yeah. What's their mode? Yeah. So I, I do want to share with you is that Vera Kaplan, who is the CEO, has previously ran this business called Master Cell. And Master Cell was a decentralized clean room business. I see. And uh, it is in, if I'm not wrong, it's in Germany. Okay. And she has ran the business in five years time, growing their business from 3 million revenue to $33 million. Okay. Right. 
three to thirty three million in okay. I think five years time. Okay. Okay. But as as she was doing this business, she was receiving a lot of feedback from the industry that, uh, for the players themselves, hospitals themselves, they say that, you know, we like what you're doing, but unfortunately, you know, by doing what you're doing, you know, you are not serving the industry. You can actually serve the industry better. Okay. Right. And she she felt so guilty because there was she felt so guilty because. She's have have to charge certain margins to actually, uh, break even a cost and a lot of things were, were not efficient at all. I see. So, she so so Master Cell was the only business back then. Okay. Right, and she took a very bold step to sell that business Master Cell to Catalan, right, which is okay. another player in the in the industry. Okay. And using her, uh, the proceeds. Uh, uh, Using the proceeds and some of the stuff that remain and the IP that she have gotten okay. and the processes, okay. you know, she she actually uh, start this decentralized uh, uh, clean rooms. And okay. I want to say that it's it's not easy for a CEO to do that to chop away your most profitable arm, sell it away, mm. get the process, and restart from beginning. It's yeah. almost to say that you have decided to burn your bridge. There's no plan B. There's only plan A. Yeah. And this needs to succeed. Mm. And and she has been in this industry for about uh, more than 10 years. Okay. And the connection that she, she has formed with regulatory bodies, uh, with uh, different players has uh, been very, very strong. In fact, you'll be surprised. <clears throat> Back then when Master Cell was was still under the company, or Genesis, okay. uh, they actually manufactured drugs for, for some of the uh, quite big pharmaceutical companies that still remain uh, friends uh, with her as well. I see. So if you if you ask me today, uh, who are the competitors? Uh, there are a few, right? Uh, Lonza have this business called Cocoon, which is also a small decentralized um, uh, uh, clean room. Okay. Uh, there's, there's, there's another competitor as well, but I think I might be getting uh, the name wrong, mm-hmm. uh, but it's called Space Shutter as well. Oh, okay. So Interesting it's name. Like, <laughs> it's like a decentralized clean room as well. Okay. So the way I look at this is that who's going to have a head start into this business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for, for most of these players, these are their, their first time doing it. I see. For Verit, I think, uh, you know, you know, I, I feel like for this kind of healthcare biotech uh, industry, the modes are not always visible, mm. but the modes always lies with the relationship we have with certain scientists, with certain uh, uh, FDA uh, officials. Reg- like, regulatory like approvals. If, uh, yeah. Correct. If, if you and I, we have done business several times before, now you're proposing a new solution, you know, I am open to hear your idea. Mm. But if we have not met before, uh, maybe you want to wait for three months, then I'll open my door, then we have a chat, right? I understand. So, so I so this is very different from bribing up, but this is just yeah, relationship. Yeah, understand. understand. <laughs> yeah. So so if you ask me about my competitive about how I look at the competitive advantages, mm. the ecosystem that she's building, um, I I think um it, it's very clear that I think she has a very good head start, and this is not something that you say you know I just uh if I have additional like hundred million, I just hire the best scientists out there. Yeah. And I will I will have access immediately. No. It's something that you build over time in a dedicated manner. Okay. Uh, which is why I feel that Orgesis is actually on track. And just to uh, update y'all, I mean, all the listeners a bit to make things a bit uh, exciting. But of course, I'm not like pumping the stock up. This is not like a big position. Uh, uh, last quarter, they actually grew their revenue by 400%, right? Mm. So of course, it's, it's of, a, of a small base. But if you look at the earnings transcript and you see how she explained the business, I think it's one business plan that's very 
thorough that's very well thought of okay very meticulous so i i really uh, I look forward to see uh, this uh, progressing to the next stage because if this company succeeds it also means that you know drugs is going to i mean immunotherapy uh, therapy drugs is going to be cheaper yeah i feel that uh, if the business succeed the patient succeeds as well and i, I feel happy you know owning a business like this yeah so i have a question uh, what what is your estimate of the total adjustable market for a company like our genesis yeah actually uh i i did attempt to to to, to drop the addressable market but to me i can tell you uh that it's- this website called Alliance of Regenerative Medicine. Okay. It, it kind of shows you how much billions of money that's being pumped into the industry because in the future, we may even have uh, personalized uh, therapies, personalized uh, medicine that's tailored to our our genes, right? Because mm-hmm. all of us, DNAs are different. Yeah. So what, what I'm saying is that it is so big that I don't even bother because <laughs> it, it, it comes to a point where it, it doesn't really matter really. Yeah. And right now, I, I think the business, um, Revenues is still at a very very uh, early stage, mm. uh, but of course it's generating revenue. It is it, uh, broke even in the last quarter because how the revenue has been ramping up. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think um uh, that alone doesn't raise a concern for me because at the end of the day, it's always looking for companies that have very huge uh, runway. Understand. And I think this is a business that if it succeeds, could be a business to hold for five or ten years and above. Yeah. But I just want to draw a, a caution here. I think for such business that's a biotech nature uh, things are always not guaranteed things can change really quickly mm-hmm. um and so i don't have a very big position in this company mm-hmm. but i think the reason why i'm bringing this up because um i don't just want to make money when i invest right i also want to see companies succeeding and not just any company succeeding but you know if let's say a bread store below my my my, my house went for ipo right yeah. i feel okay good for them yeah right but when I see a company like OGC succeeding, I know mankind has took a leap forward. Understand. Right? I know that there's a lot more hope. So, you know, like that's an additional bonus for being a child of OGC. I mean, that's how at least uh, it feels to me. Great, right. great. You share your personal aspect as well. Um, I just want to probably throw a spana in the works, uh, <laughs> <laughs> be a little bit of a devil advocate. Um, Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes. You know, uh, you you talked about Oginesis having a very um what it were, a very capable uh, founder, and she has great connections and all that. How would you advise as an as an investor? What are the checkpoints or what are the criteria that you'll be looking at in order for you to avoid something like uh, Theranos? You know, I mean, they they came up with guns blazing, promising to change the world. I'm very aligned to you as well in terms of oncology treatment because I'm an insurance planner. So that's why I could recite the figures because I look at the claims data for cancer every every other month. So, <laughs> uh, I yeah, uh, and, and I, I find it very sad because uh, some of the clients uh, uh, or my, my clients, family members or friends that had uh, very old or dated medical cards, the coverage for the, for critical illness or all this was not sufficient. And one of the reasons is because oncology treatment is so expensive. So I'm very aligned with you of how to bring it down and, uh, and, and all that. But at the same time, I'm also very fearful when I look at these companies that come promising a lot of things, but then what are the red flags in case it is a fraud, yeah. it's a scam, you know? I mean, you never know. Yeah, you never know. What, what, what are the things that you as an investor would want to look out for to avoid this kind of, you know, uh, empty promises? Lah. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a very... Um, 
very thoughtful investor uh, uh, question and yeah. also uh, uh, showing that you know we have to look at the risk factors as well correct correct i i, I think you look at uh, elizabeth holmes right i i think if you look at the business uh, uh i can't really recall all the details but wall street journal uh, pulled out some information to talk about how we have how it have happened yeah i think most investors when they invested in a company they invested based on uh, fear of missing out mm. and i'm just i'm just not talking about ordinary investors like uh, you and I, but also on a celebrity level. Yeah. In fact, very experienced um, uh, executives as well have poured a lot of money. Correct. Uh, in, into the business and, and without without seeing the financial statements at yeah, all. Yeah, that's right. And also in terms of, um, uh, uh, the technology, um, I I can't recall whether it's a, a, a FDA approved or not, mm-hmm. or it could be just a product as a prototype. Uh, and, and, and and because, you know, like the promises, if it's FDA approved, yeah. the sales will climb uh, rapidly and, and we wonder, you know, do they have uh, real clients? Yeah. So I, I think in, in the case of Orgenesis, we can be sure that um, a few things here. Uh-huh. Uh, number one is a listed company. Okay. Uh, but doesn't mean listed company yeah, at all. Yeah, companies. correct. Uh, uh, got governance, uh, auditor as well. But I also want to share that one of their medical director is called Heiko Vanderlin. Okay. All right. And Heiko is a very prominent uh, scientist okay. in, 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 in the world. Okay. And his, and his wife, if I'm not wrong. Um, okay. Uh, I, I need some help here. You know, like yeah. there's this European commission, right? Uh, Have you heard guys? Uh, for what? For medical? The FDA uh, equivalent, no, is it? No, like, like, like in the world, there's this thing called European Commission. Okay. A European, uh, the EC, la, the European Commission, yes. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. yeah. So, so Heiko, um, his, his wife is actually uh, the president of the European Commission. Ah, which, which okay, is, okay, uh, okay, okay. Uh, Ursula Vander, yeah. Okay. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that Heiko is such prominent background okay. and his wife being the president of European Commission, which is a quite a big deal. I see. Wouldn't wouldn't kind of stain his reputation yeah. by joining to a company like Argentis. And Heiko actually came from a very noble, uh, wealthy family. I see. And these are the people that of course have done a lot of due diligence. Uh, and I think also want to mention another thing. Uh, John Hopkins, which is a very reputable university, very mm. stringent in terms of their partnership, mm-hmm. have on, on multiple occasions um, uh, written about uh, the company I see. Uh, and talk about their partnership. And I think in most cases, in there's this thing called the US and Israel Alliance. So Argenesis is an Israel company, but okay. has made a lot of operations in Singapore, uh, a lot of operations in the United States. I see. So, so I think there are a lot of they are also seeking for a lot of funds as well. I see. In the earlier days, so uh, they they receive several funding rounds, and uh, usually for those funding rounds, a lot of strict, uh, uh thorough checks about the viability of the technology, uh, coming in. So I cannot be sure that it's not gonna be a fraudulent company. Mm-hmm. All right, that, that's never like hundred percent, right? Correct, correct. But what I'm saying is that you know with so many factors coming in. Yeah the possibility is close to zero from my point of view. Mm. And also, if you look at Elizabeth um, Holmes. Yes, Elizabeth Holmes, right. Whenever there was interviews, I think she declined. She lived in a very secluded life. Mm. She don't share too much about family. Mm. Uh, but if you look at uh, Barrett Kaplan, okay. whenever 
she appears on Ernest Transcripts Call. I think she shares a lot about her life on 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 YouTube as well. I see. So uh, it it's like she has nothing to hide. But in fact, she's pushing this ahead. I see. But I can tell you, you know, in, in a very similar way, I think the life the world is a bit funny because when Tesla when Elon Musk wanted to push Tesla, you know, there was a lot of pushback and a lot of threats from the Asian auto makers, right? Yeah, you talk yeah. about General Motors, talk about Ford, Toyota, talk about all these players. Yeah, all this, yeah. yeah. They say that, you know, Tesla is someone they want to kill. Yeah. And then the oil industry also threatened Elon Musk. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah. But but how does it link back to Origins? Mm. Today, if Origins were to succeed, who's going to be unhappy? A lot of big players like Catalan, they own all these huge uh, 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 CDMOs, uh, uh, CDMOs. Okay, CDMOs in short is just uh, uh, manufacture uh, uh, plants that man, uh, clean rooms, centralized mm. clean rooms. Those companies, listed companies that owns this clean major rooms. Uh, centralized clean rooms will be very unhappy. So she's actually pushing something ahead, which I, which I saw a lot of similarities uh, behind all these visionaries, right? Uh-huh. I want to share you another example. Yeah. When uh, Apple actually created a, released an iPhone, Nokia CEO uh-huh. was, 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 was uh, kind of dissed yes. um, the phone. Uh, Microsoft's CEO back then, uh, yeah. Steve Ballmer, yeah. said that it's going to be a flop as well. Correct. So I, I feel that uh, in this world, we got to innovate, we got to move things ahead. We, we need to uh, uh, see visionary. So to me, sometimes when I invest in companies, I also think about who am I partnering with? What mm. is the quality of people I'm actually investing in? Mm. And who are their backers? Because you may have a dream, but if you cannot rally the people, strategic backers to mm-hmm. back you up, mm-hmm. push you ahead, then then there's, there's, it's game over, man. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I think uh, maybe some salient points of your, your great answer is that uh, look at all the other alternative data in the sense that um, how does she approach her life? Is he transparent, authentic, or founder, la, or he or she? Okay. Second thing is, uh, just to summarize your answer, uh, the other one was actually looking at the um, the personnel that they have on board and whether they are in, in somewhat credible of stature or things like that. La. Okay, great. Um, I do have, do you have any more questions? No, on, no, on no. Genesis? Yes. Yeah. I do have one question that I want to pivot away a little bit from just the stocks and going all the way back to the book that actually changed your life, which yeah. was uh, One Up on one Wall up. Street. One of my favorite books. Um, and um, what, do you, what do you think in, in terms of sequencing uh, for an investor when they want to, he or she wants to start investing? Uh, would you rather them uh, meet a mentor or have some guidance? Or would you rather them actually read a book and come to self-realization? Which do you think is a better path? Yeah, actually, uh, I, 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 I'll just, I, I may not be able to answer the question like directly, but I'll just share with you my whole your, your journey personal, first. Yeah, yeah your journey. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll come back to the answer. Yeah. So I, I think very importantly, whenever I start to think about me starting to invest, I think it's very important that anyone who, anyone who's, who's new to investing, uh, should at least have a very high confidence that they would succeed because if they don't have it, then they should never start investing. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like personally, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what is the game changer for me in the book called One Up on Wall Street was a chapter where a group of school kids, ordinary school kids, ah. actually chose a, a, a list of stocks and that was being compared 
with some of the brightest in Wall Street mm-hmm. who actually came out of their list as well. Mm-hmm. And who performed better? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's actually the a group of kids in the classroom. So when I read the story, it was a game changer for me because I, I knew that, you know, I may not be like rich, I may not have that background, but if I just invest using common sense and sometimes, sometimes when you are in that industry working for too long, you kind of lose common sense. Yeah. But, I, I, but I, I thought that, you know, uh, using common sense, I, I could succeed. Then I start to also realize that if I had a mentor very early in my life, then I would probably not explore as wide as possible mm. because a mentor is here and it draws a straight path for you, right? Mm, mm, mm. This is how I created my success. This is where you go. And so I actually explored contra trading, technical analysis, uh, different kind of investing. I, I tried a lot. Mm. And and that led me to the conclusion that like just based on my personality, just based on uh, how I was being wired as a person, I think stocks is the one that best suited me. I see. So, and I also think that if a mentor were to just appear in my life, I also may not take it very seriously. I mm. feel that, I feel that if, like personally for me, uh, I, I wasn't that lucky, you know, but I found mentors which I have to persuade that, you know, I'm going to be serious, I'm going to work hard and stuff like that because it is human nature all the time yeah. that we, we don't cherish what comes easy, right? That's right. We only, we only <laughs> cherish what comes uh, when we have to fight for it, right? Yep. So to me, I feel that um, this thought about Having a mentor first, or having uh, a book first, a book first. Yeah, it it does not really matter because I think there are many routes to Rome, but I think what is really more important is that self awareness, the self reflection as well. Mm. Because I I really wanted to succeed really hard as an investor. Yeah, which is which is why I spent a lot of time, um, just looking at my portfolio. I was looking back at the decisions I made. And what were my top processes like? Mm-hmm. So that so that you know sometimes when when because I I, I reflected on the process mm-hmm. so gradually next time when I buy the stock like like there's just this gut feeling that stops me from doing it yeah. because maybe there's certain reflections certain things that that kicks in they say hey come in stop doing that you've yeah. done it before <laughs> yeah. you've lost money yeah you better you better you better make sure you know what you're doing like mm. this inner voice yeah so so I, I so I feel that uh, uh not just mentors or just the books but you know that the constant reflection for you to become good right it's like you don't just you don't just keep running mm. but you also ask yourself how can you run better right how can you how can you invest better and I feel that by by doing that uh, it is just something so simple and it really helped me throughout my journey. Great. No, the reason why I'm asking is because um, MJ and I also coach and, and teach people about investing and we have an e-learning class and all that. But what we notice is this. Uh, uh, it, if I were to oversimplify it, it's called Pareto Principle 80-20. That means how many people come through. They, the struggle is this, you know, Kelvin. I don't know whether in your business you see the same thing or not. They come in is because they want the the goal part of success of investing. But when they come in, they don't have that desire, that that uh, uh, willingness. And they say, oh, I have to put in the hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you know I thought, they get a I thought I get passive income. Yeah, I get man. passive income. You know, they've been sold by all this marketing hype. Oh, you know, oh, I'm going to get passive income. I can quit my active job, you know, that kind of thing. And, and 
th- that's the reason why I'm asking this because uh, as and I'm very aligned with you about that realization because you yourself need to have it. You and, and there needs to be a price to pay for you to attain that success. Where most most people then they, they come to you and says, "Hey, you know, just uh, uh, Kelvin, you know, just teach me some of your tricks, and then um, I can do like what two hours a day, uh, two hours a week, or two hours a year, and then I'll, I'll get there." And and then I'm trying to find out what is the real motivation to keep people invested because most people, uh, I don't know about your sampling, but our sampling is that most people will will give up because they they want to they want to enjoy the success, but they don't want to put in the work. If you get what I mean, I, I don't know whether you are aligned with me or not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think I, I do face that. Uh, I see that as well. So, yeah. which is why uh, in our course, we, we, we tend to have a lot of uh, disclaimers. I say, uh, this course is not suitable if you are lazy, da, 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 you, you don't commit to the whatever, right? <laughs> okay. And, and so so it's almost like we are anti-business. Like we keep like... Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That's don't, right. Don't come to us, right? <laughs> yeah. But I, I believe like uh, uh, we, we got to really attract the right kind of people in our community. Yeah. And also... I feel that you know they, I I believe you know for all of us we don't make money so that we can buy a Rolex, buy a big car, exactly, whatever, right? Yeah. But it's, it's giving that assurance, financial assurance and, and certainty. So I feel like, uh, we always have to remind people, you know, why are you doing this for? Knowing mm. that purpose is so important. Yeah. Uh, don't lose track of it because a lot of people when, we are you are doing a nine to five job. And maybe if the culture is not very good, you, you almost feel like you are just a robot. You are like you 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 lose your sense of uh, identity, your sense yeah. of purpose. So yeah. always having that reminder is very helpful. So I, I think one of the things that uh I have seen great success uh for most people is a bit like old school uh, but I I feel is is useful right yeah. like writing down what you want to achieve in life and the reasons why. And just put it in your wallet, lah. Mm, <laughs> mm, mm, I, I mean, sorry, things, a, bit, yeah. a, a bit old school, ah, but yeah, yeah, it, no, it no, no, no. I, I, I love it. You know, it's setting goals, ah. <laughs> also saying that at the same time, uh, what I think uh, you would also agree with me that while we are saying that, so you have to put in the work. It doesn't necessarily mean that normal people who are outside of finance, outside of investment banking, can't invest. I think the point we're trying to make, and I hope I can get your alignment, is this: is that success to investing comes with work, lah. Whether you you don't you want to admit it or not, it comes with work. But you also have to figure out that uh, it does not come at uh, very little, very little input or very little uh, uh, effort from from the side. I, I don't know what what are your thoughts. It comes with work, lah. Um, it's it's always the the truth, lah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, but I I think um the thing about uh uh investing is very uh uh. It's very scalable. Yeah. So ah, yeah, what, that's a good word. Scalable. So so what, what I'm thinking of is one thing here. For example, if I want to run a concert, for example, mm. maybe I have to put like uh, 72 hours to actually set up the whole concert. Correct. And, and, and maybe as a concert organizer, I'll earn X amount of money. But next time I want to run the same concert, I will still need to spend 72 hours and I earn X amount of money. Mm. But I think investing is such that in the earlier years, you maybe have to put a lot more effort. Yes. Right? But as your capital grows, compound, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we are taking shortcuts, but in your mind, you have a re- recollection of good companies, how they look Correct. like. So maybe instead of spending like, maybe like one week to analyze a company, you spend like three days, but you still have the same amount of depth and coverage in terms of the company. Precisely. And, and, and maybe last time you had to spend like maybe uh, one week to, to find a company that can give you 20% return. Yeah. But now maybe you spend less than one week, you can find a company that give you 40, 50% return. Yeah. Uh, so the, the math don't make sense, but that's how it is because you are not earn, investing in such that you don't earn with your 
time you earn with your knowledge, right? Yes. I I give you another one one last example. Yeah. I I think this is an example that all of you should know. Yeah. Uh, I think I think we'll know. Uh, in the ship, the ship broke down. The engine actually had some issues. <laughs> uh, they actually caught this guy. The guy took a hammer. Oh a, yeah. Found out where where to knock right pump, and then he he built like I think uh quite a expensive sum of money. Yeah. But then he say uh paying for a, a hammer is ten dollars. Yeah. And then uh, ten thousand dollars is paying for the knowledge to know where to knock. Not correct. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think um that's why all of us are into investing, and I also share that you know investing should be a, one of the very important life skill to have yes. because um uh, that's where you can truly uh do more with less, right? Yes. 80, 20, uh, 2080 kind of thing as yeah, well. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm. yeah. So um with that, uh you know, it's been uh it's very been a very Ooh. interesting podcast. <laughs> uh, it's only two stocks. Usually our guests we get on three to four stocks, but yeah. it's one two stocks and it's it's really good. Really yeah. good. Uh yeah. I, I've never heard of all Genesis before. So yeah. Definitely thanks to your initial coverage for us, we will definitely uh, look more into it. And uh, you know, before we end the podcast, right, Kel- uh, Kelvin, where where can people find you? Yeah, give a shout out. Where where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me at uh, kelvesso dot com. That's K E L B K L B E S T O R dot com. <laughs> okay. Or I am also available on Instagram. So just say hi to me. Uh, that'll be very nice. Um, and I also want to share that. Uh, I know all of you are from Malaysia. I love Malaysia food a lot. I've okay. been to Ipoh, JBKL. Uh, so far, the food is always so which delicious. Is the best. Which uh, uh, which is the best? Which town or which state? Yeah, Penang, Ipoh, or KL. Uh, okay. To be to be fair, I, I think it's Penang like, <laughs> Hokkien okay. noodles, chakotiao. Yeah. That one unbeatable. La. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And you know, I remember your Instagram is uh, interesting because uh, you have this uh, hedgehog. Right, you're famous for a hedgehog. Do you actually rare a hedgehog? Do you actually have a hedgehog at home? <laughs> I, I think I'm not sure the rules in Singapore, but uh I yeah, I, I don't have it. It's just I thought it was a fun thing uh, to have. Uh, you have to get it. It's yeah, so cute. It's so cute on your, <laughs> on yeah. your meme. But with that, uh we have to put this podcast to an end. Yeah. And uh, guys, if you guys are listening, I am hundred percent sure that this was an awesome podcast. Get to know something we're familiar with, yes. see. Something we're not so familiar with is all Genesis, and of course, in general, how uh you know Calvin became a full time investor basically yeah. uh, at warp speed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. thank you guys so much, and thank you, Calvin. Thank for you being for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Calvin. Okay. Welcome. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. All right. See you. <laughs>